This is Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. The word of the Lord. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks for now. All right. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for this word. Uh, I pray now as we look into it and lean into it, you would lean into us and uh, show us what you want us to see. Um, convict our hearts, encourage our hearts. Uh, I pray that you would uh, lead us to the joy of our salvation like this woman we see in the story. Uh, yeah, here we go. In your name, amen. So we're in this, uh, this series in the book of Luke. We've titled it Meeting Jesus. And um, the very end of what Renee just read for us, there's this question, and it's a question that actually a lot of people have already been asking in Luke thus far, and it's this, who is this? <laughs> who is this Jesus who can forgive sins? Who is this Jesus who's healing people? Who is this? And it's at the end of this story, but it's also, it's the purpose of this whole series, really, uh, is to to kind of invite us to truly answer that question. Who is this Jesus? Who's this Jesus who handles people the way that he handles people in situations the way that he does? Who's this Jesus that makes the claims that he makes? Who's this Jesus who breaks a lot of the stereotypes that all the religious people, the churchgoers of the day, feel comfortable with? Who's this Jesus who breaks all the norms for a leader of a new kingdom? And, and particularly, how do you answer that? 
How do I answer that question? C.S. Lewis famously said, uh, if you've met Jesus, um, you, you, can't, you can't have the, the kind of Tommy boy response of like, hmm, he seems like a nice guy, right? Like he said, you, if you've met Jesus, it's, it's one of three categories, liar, lunatic, or Lord. Either he's a liar, he's not telling the truth, he isn't the way, the truth, and the life. He's either crazy, like he's got a couple screws loose, or he's, he's who he says he is and he's Lord. And so there's no lukewarm opportunity for us here. It's, it's, it, which is he? Is he liar? Is he lunatic? Is he Lord? Well, Jesus has already said earlier in Luke, when we remember we studied that passage in the synagogue where he got up and read from Isaiah and did the, the scroll drop, right? He said, this is who I am. People are still asking the question, who, who is this? He said, this is who I am. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's who I am. That's what I've come to do. But as we keep going through Luke, what we see is how he's going about that, how he's fulfilling his mission statement, and who he's challenging along the way, because how he's doing it is challenging everybody along the way. Many people in all of these stories are realizing that how they see themselves, you know, me loves me some me, right? I have this idea about me that I like thinking about myself. Well, Jesus doesn't love the idea that you like having about yourself. He loves the real you. The idea that they have about themselves, how Jesus sees them, their needs. Who's truly poor? Who's truly blind? Who's truly imprisoned? Who's poor and what's their poverty? Who's imprisoned and what is their prison? Who's blind and what are they blind to? Who's oppressed and what is their true oppressor? It's different than what they think. And Jesus has come and said, I'm going to I'm going to come and address the deepest needs that you have, not the ones that you necessarily think are your needs, the real ones. I've come to address your sin, first and foremost. And what we see in this story is is your deepest needs oftentimes can easily be covered up by being good. And being good by comparison. That's what most people go to bed If you go to bed feeling good, a lot of times you went to bed feeling good because it's the goodness I have compared to someone else's badness. That's not peace. That's not rest. You lived up to the standard until you don't. And then you'll go to bed and lose sleep. So three things. Put your chin straps on. Here we go. Teared eyes, full hearts, can't lose, right? Yeah, Jesus forever, six. Uh, <laughs> Tear dies, full hearts. Spotlighting with blind spots. Second thing we're going to talk about. And third thing, becoming an extravagant lover. Okay? Tear dies, full hearts. I was uh, watching, a, I don't know how, the, it might have been on a feed of some sort, a clip from Ellen. Uh, one of her talk shows, where, uh, and this happens a lot on these shows. Um, these, you know, Ellen's obviously, she's wealthy, she's in a position of power. 
And I can't remember that she paid off this person's student loans or she paid off their house, but she did something for the person. She gave something to the person that they couldn't get for themselves. And what do you think that person did? Freaked out, right? I mean, awkward, ugly face, like snotty, get out the paper towels because Kleenexes won't do sort of crying, right? Because she did something. She gave something to this person that they couldn't give themselves. And when that happens, that's the reaction, right? It's I'm overwhelmed to the point of joy and, and ugly face crying. Well, these, the story begins here, right? 36 to 38. But these Pharisees who keep inviting Jesus over to their houses. I wonder, like, are you guys ever going to learn this lesson? Like, you got to be careful when you invite Jesus to your house, right? The Pharisees keep hosting and interacting with Jesus. And this, kind of the, the context of this would be oftentimes, it's probably he finished teaching in the synagogue, and oftentimes then, you know, the high ups and, and religious leadership would invite Jesus over to, for, like, the potluck, right, in the courtyard, out front of their house afterwards, and it was really common practice for that to be a place where anybody could actually walk up and kind of like peek in on the discussion. So they're hosting Jesus, interacting with him. He's clearly at this point already, he's got a groundswell of public momentum. He's been teaching, he's been healing, but he's also, he's, he's challenging so much about their norms, their understandings, their religious control. I, it kind of feels like the beginning of the story feels like uh, that statement, you know, keep your friends close and your potential enemies closer. Like they're really in this moment of, is Jesus, is Jesus with us? Is he on my side of this argument? You know? And there's a pattern that's beginning to develop in Luke. And it's this, that Jesus always seems to be picking a fight with them the religious self-right. And he certainly is showing he doesn't mind an awkward moment. I mean, Jesus sets up so many moments that we try to, our entire lives to avoid, right? He seems really comfortable with the uncomfortable. Jesus seems to always be picking a fight with the religious self-right and dealing gently with those who are aware of their need and their brokenness. This woman who walks up on the dinner says there, a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came with an alabaster jar of perfume, stood behind him at his feet weeping. She begins to wet his feet with her tears and then she wiped them with her hair and she kissed him and poured perfume on him. This woman, there's tons of debate about who was this. In this passage, they don't seem to care, so we shouldn't. Who led a sinful life? They don't even explain that. There's lots of things in the language that would lead you to probably think it was prostitution. Maybe. Um, I don't even think that necessarily matters. Whatever she had done, everyone knew about it. Okay? And she comes to this very public gathering and in an act of intimacy... Uh, reckless vulnerability and, and costly expensiveness, like personal cost 
she totally has an emotional yard sale in front of everybody. Like, have you ever done that? Like, I was, we were on staff retreat last week, and I was, we sent everybody away, and I ended up standing with kind of my, you know, calf deep in the ocean, was looking out, was kind of praying, and I just got literally overwhelmed. And it would be, I could sit here and try to explain to you all the things that were going on in my head, but I, I was experiencing the Lord's presence and praying and being thankful and being convicted and all that, you know, all the feels, whatever. And I started crying so hard that I, I like pulled my hood over my face and I knew some of the other like staff people, like the admin people were about to walk up on me and I'm like, oh, wow, like I'm not sure I want you to see this, Dave. She's going for it here, right? She is, this is the yard sale. And what she was doing even by crying and touching Jesus' feet and wetting him with her tears and her hair, uh, based on like Jewish rabbinic law, would have been inappropriate for her to be doing. It would have been suggesting some certain things. And so not only has she led a sinful life, what she's doing right now is not cool to them. And yet, I mean, Jesus leaning on the table, you know, feet hanging back. He doesn't even, like, look her way like, what are you doing? He, he's, he's engaged in the conversation, and it's very clear to Jesus that she understands who Jesus is. Yeah, she should be doing that. She should be worshiping me that way. What she is doing is very clear, it displays, and Jesus sees it, she understands who I am. It's like in James where it says, show me your faith by what you do, right? I'll just talk about it. I want to see it. She's outwardly expressing what she inwardly understands. It's exactly what we just did in baptism. It's a physical outward representation of a spiritual reality. And in that moment, her faith in him, it bore fruit. Because her faith wasn't in herself. Her faith wasn't in her being able to expunge her record. Her faith wasn't in gaining the approval or the acceptance of the religious status quo of her community. And that's what's going to make me right. I don't make me right. I can't undo my past. And your view of me doesn't make me right. Her faith was in him and him alone. And it showed. Who is this? The question, right? Who is this that even forgives sins? Her actions show she knows whose grace and forgiveness she needs. And it's not Simon's. It's not the Pharisees. It's Jesus. And she knows this. Forgiveness is what I need. I don't just need it from him. I need that. I need forgiveness. I don't need a little more time on the debt clock to try to get out of debt. I don't need just a little, look, just a little help so I can dig myself out of the hole, but I need to have my debt totally absorbed. I need to have the cost of my debt paid by another. I need forgiven. Like Jonathan talked about last week, I need forgiven. <laughs> I think this is why Jesus tells this little mini parable to Simon in her presence. You remember the parable here? He says, 
<laughs> Simon, I have something to tell you. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> tell me, Tisha. <laughs> you know, you can just imagine Simon feeling, feeling really good about himself at this point. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. It's about two years' wages. The other 50, two months, still a ton of money. Once you went in debt in those days, it was hard to get out, period. <laughs> Neither of them had money to pay him back. Neither of them had any money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which one will love him more? He tells this mini parable to Simon in her presence. And he says this, I'm the moneylender, effectively, in the story. I'm the only one at this table. I know I'm at your house right now, and you through this feast, but everything you have, I mean, it says this in, in 1 Corinthians 4, who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? He's saying, I'm, I'm the only one at the table with real capital, Everyone else, her and you, you're all working with borrowed money. That's your life. And everyone in the story is in debt to one person. And the amount of debt doesn't matter because you don't even have any money to pay it back. All your good works, Scripture says, are like filthy rags. I don't need your good works. I don't need your sacrifice. I need a broken and contrite heart. He's saying all have sinned and fallen short. And what he's saying about the amount of debt, even the comparison is this, the amount of debt really only affects the one forgiven in so much that when the debt is huge and the debt is obvious, the forgiveness is meaningful. When you really understand the debt, you, you go Ellen on it, right? You freak out because you realize I can't give myself that. I had to have someone else do it for me. And Jesus knows that her act of love, her worship, shows her grasp. It shows her faith. You know, he says there at the end, your faith has saved you. He's not saying her act in this moment saved her. He's saying her act in this moment showed the faith that was already there that preceded the act. And that faith is a gift. It shows her grasp of the grace and the love of Jesus for her, just as... Simon's lack of love and lack of hospitality shows his blind spot to his own need of the very same grace. She's yard sailing with tears and hair and perfume, and he's saying she gets it, and he doesn't. Why? Her eyes are on Jesus. His grace, he's the moneylender. His grace is what makes me right, so I worship. Simon's eyes, where are they? They're on her? She's wrong. That makes me feel right. They're on Jesus. If he were a prophet, he would know what she's doing. So he's judging her and Jesus. And that's what's giving him his sense of right. And so instead of worship, he gives his own verdict. 
and he judges. Teared eyes, full hearts. But Simon, let's go to Simon for a second. Because we can be guilty. I can be guilty. I've been guilty. This week I will be guilty of being Simon. Why, why it's such an attractive picture, that, that yard sale in many ways, when we, when we look at it from that vantage point. Why can't Simon worship the Lord right now? Jesus is sitting right there in front of him. Second thing, spotlighting with blind spots. Simon the Pharisee clearly has a blind spot. And his blind spot is actually maintained by his self-righteous spotlight. We do this. I'm going to keep the light on you and on your failures and on your shortcomings. You know, they say, you know, the best, the best defense is a good offense, right? As long as I can keep all the focus on, you know, your mistakes and where you fall short, that spotlight actually creates a shadow for me to hide in. It's the economics of many a marriage, many a friendship, many a working relationship. If I can keep the spotlight on you, then I get to hide out in the shadows, and I get to hide in the shadows my sin. I get to hide it from you, and I get to hide it from myself, and I think I'm hiding it from the Lord. Obviously, Jesus wasn't allowing Simon to hide it. you got to be careful when you invite Jesus to your dinner party, right? Because he may change the conversation from what you want to talk about with him to what he needs to talk about with you. Hey, I, I get it. You want to you debate what I just taught about in the synagogue. Let's get a little more practical. Let's, let's go to the heart questions in your small group, right? <laughs> He says there, I came to your house. Like, you think I came here just because you invited me. I, I came here with a different agenda. And what you want to talk about with me, I've got something different I want to talk about with you. And here it is. Her tears and her pouring out this perfume and her touching me, my feet with her hair, that isn't a problem with me. And it's not a problem for her. The problem here is, is that Instead of closing the distance like she is in worship, you're keeping me at arm's length, Simon, and you're doing it through your religious goodness that I know is really just disguised debt. Well, we're used to living this way, right? We live in a country where everybody lives beyond their means, right? Lives with things that look like, well, I can afford this one. Really, it's just debt. And he's saying, you, you're living with all this religious goodness, but I see it all. You've just got a giant balance. <laughs> it's disguised debt. You're living beyond your means. And so this inner monologue moment says there, when the Pharisee who saw this, Simon saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. The inner monologue, and I would argue even Jesus is being gentle with Simon here. The inner monologue becomes an outer dialogue. 
And Jesus leads him to the truth by his own admission through this, this mini parable. And you hear it in there. He basically says at the end, now which one will love him more? And he says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. I suppose. It's such a convincing statement, right? I suppose, you know? It's kind of how it reads. I suppose. And then, not sure, (laughs) I'm sure Jesus was sure because of what he did. He takes the metaphorical story and he gets really practical with Simon, doesn't he? And he says this. Do you see this woman? Do you see her? Powerful little question. Because Simon thinks he sees her. He's already made up his mind, hasn't he? I see her. Do you see this woman? And then he says, I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears. You didn't give me a kiss. From the time I entered, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. She's been forgiven, and her love shows it. All Simon sees at this moment is what she has done prior to this moment, her sins, what she's doing in this moment, her sin in his eyes, and all he sees at this moment is himself in comparison to her. He's literally looking at her through his eyes. But what he can't see in her, that Jesus draws out, and he can't see it in her because it doesn't exist in him yet. He can't see it in her because it doesn't exist in him as this. The humble, repentant, grateful, grace-wrecked heart of someone who's been forgiven. He can't see it. He can't see the beauty of what's going on in this woman. He says, do you see her? He can't see it in her because it doesn't exist in him. Because Simon loves himself for all the wrong reasons. And many of us do. I love myself for reasons very differently than the reasons Jesus loves me. And I want you to love me for very different reasons. And I love me for those reasons. And therefore, because he loves himself for the wrong reasons, he hates her for those very same reasons. And Jesus, God incarnate, is saying, my love for you I love for her and, and Simon, I'm, I'm wooing you here, man. I'm at your house. My love for you is not because you get it right, you got it right, you could dig out of the debt. Neither of you have the money to pay back this debt. I love you because I chose to love you. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. I'm the money lender. And says, Simon, would you look at me? Stop looking at her. She's looking at me. (laughs) You're looking at her. She's looking at me, and the fruit of that is radical, extravagant, 
worshipful love. You're looking at her, and the fruit of that is what? Self-love for the wrong reasons. You're blind. You don't see this woman. You're blind. You're the, you need to be set free. I'm the guy who sets the blind free, right? I give sight to the blind. She's the only person seeing clearly through her tears. You're blind and you need, to, you need to be set free. She's seeing clearly and she is acting free. So when he says, do you see this woman? He's, he's effectively saying, Simon, do you see yourself? You're not hospitable because you don't want to serve. You want to be served. You're not affectionate towards me because you want me to kiss your ring and endorse you. You don't want to anoint me with oil because you've spent all your oil anointing yourself. And the proof of that is, is that you don't love. Like 1 Corinthians 13 says, you can have wisdom, you can have eloquence, you can do great acts of service, but if you don't already have love, have it. You've been loved, then you're like a gong. You're like a symbol. The proof is that you don't love. Or maybe, maybe better yet, you're still trapped, Simon. You've loved yourself so much there's no love left. Because that's all you love. You're spotlighting with a blind spot. So what Jesus is driving at, third thing, six minutes, we'll do it, is that those who know that they have been forgiven much, they become extravagant lovers. They become teared eyes, full hearts, can't lose, right? They go from living a life where I get my, my sense of rightness by spotlighting, keeping my blind spots, to I, I become the woman in the story because we are the woman in the story, y'all. Everyone wants to be known. I, I've never met somebody who, if you asked them this question, who said, hey, do you want to be known as somebody who loves well? Nobody says no to that, right? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Everyone wants to be known as somebody who loves well. And most of the people who I know who are great lovers, great lovers of broken people, people who, who even have the ability to love people who are incredibly difficult to love, who can love their enemies... <laughs> which I can't do that apart from the grace of God. I can't do that apart from having the resources of Jesus Christ to do that loving with. That's not natural. Most of the people I know who love others well, they have something in common. They have been loved well when they didn't deserve it at all. They had some moment in their life, maybe many moments in their life, but at least one significant one. I call it the gift of blowing it. Some of you have spent your whole life trying to not blow it, looking for love from people. And what you need to understand is, is you're not, when you do that, you're not looking for love. You're looking for admiration, which is feeding your pride. It has nothing to do with love. You know, Scripture says, this is how we know what love is. He laid down his life for us. And why he had to lay down his life for us is because we were broken and in need. When I'm trying to avoid blowing it, 
I'm just looking for admiration, not love. I'm just trying to feed my pride. Most people I know who love well, they've been loved well when they didn't deserve it at all. They have had the gift of blowing it. And most people I know who struggle to believe that God loves them in the way that this woman understands it is because when they did blow it, they weren't loved by Jesus. They were met with a Simon. They had their blowing it moment, and instead of being met with the love of Christ, they were met with the self-righteous judgment of a Simon who doesn't understand his own debt. And many people spend the rest of their life trying to dig out of the hole of that experience, trying to get the approval of Simon when what they need is to look into the face of Jesus and let Jesus deal with Simon. So two things that we can do. If you're in a Simon position right now, the first thing is this. Um, call sin, sin. Call debt, debt. Like, call what the Bible calls sin, sin, because he didn't see his sin, right? He saw her sin. Her sin, let's say it, let's say it was prostitution. Her sin of sexual licentiousness. I, I'm willing to kind of throw that on the altar of, man, we got to deal with that, but my self-righteousness you know, I, I get it. S sexual sin and self-righteousness may have different social ramifications, but they're both called sin in the Bible. They both need to be repented of, and they both need forgiveness. Both self-righteousness and, and sexual sin are destructive. may not look the same. If you grew up in a home with, with a proud parent, you bear the marks of it. Materialism and greed... Those get free passes, right? Even though, in Colossians 3, Paul says, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, epi desires, evil desires, and greed, which are idolatry. He's basically saying your greed and your sexual sin is no different. We're perfectly fine. No one comes in and says, hey, man, I'm really struggling with spending too much money on myself. That has never happened in the history of a counseling session. You know why? Because I've never said that to me. That's why the Sermon on the Mount, it assaults our low view of sin. So when you call sin, sin, like the Bible does, then you actually are opening the window to have this woman's experience, which is, is I can actually experience the grace and love of God for where I'm broken. You see that when you don't call it sin, it's not... It, it, you're actually shortchanging your, your opportunity to be, to be restored to the joy of your salvation. It's hurting you. The money lender, he's not worried about getting the money back. He's, he's already, it's all his anyways. It's not like, geez, I don't get the debt back. It's hurting you when you don't call sin, sin. And then the second thing is this, how, how you become an extravagant lover. Call sin, sin. <laughs> Secondly, look at Jesus not others. I, man, there's a whole lot that could change in this world right now if we just take our eyes off everybody else and do a little bit more of this. Right? G.K. Chesterton famously, there's an article, I try to find out, is this truly true? I don't know. Maybe it's a myth. It's famous enough that I'll say it. 
Someone asked for people to pipe in in the New York Times at one point, uh, what's, what's broken with this world? Comment. And Chesterton, famous theologian, bright guy, wrote back this, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. I'm what's wrong with the world. What's he saying? He's saying what Paul said when he says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy, and I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Of whom I'm the worst. You want to become an extravagant lover, look at Jesus, not other people. Let him look at you. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you like baby steps here. Good steps, like stair steps. Look at him, not at other people. Let him look at you. Then after being examined by him, like Simon was, then look at them. And when you look at them, what you'll realize is this. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates his brother and sister is a liar. You claim love of God and you hate your brother and sister, you're lying. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. Look at him. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. He's looking at Simon and saying, y'all are related. This woman and, and you, your brother and sister. You don't have any love for her because you haven't looked at me and let me look at you. Let me show you your sin so you can receive the grace that you need to receive. So how we become extravagant lovers, we call sin, sin. Stop the charade. Stop the spotlighting. Look at him. Let him look at you. Let him examine you. Then turn your eyes out. And when you do, it'll change how you experience people and how they experience you. You become the feet of him who brings good news because your feet will be washed in the tears and blood of Jesus. And if there's anything the world needs right now more than anything, it's people who know how to love differently than the world loves. All right? Lord, thank you. Woo! Love you. Uh, it's so clear through this story how much you love us. I pray that this week... You'd lead us like that woman uh, to a place to where we, we kind of have just a, such a clear sense of what you've done for us that we get, we get extravagant, uh, that we tell of your love, that we, we pour out our perfume, that we, we risk uh, even social awkwardness because we're just so overwhelmed with your great goodness. And I pray for Simon's Lord, wake us up, shake us up. If we're living in the cave of self-righteousness, um, trying to get you and to kind of flex our agenda. Uh, I pray this kind of hum, a little bit quietly. <laughs> um, have your way. Like, do what you need to do. Um, please don't, don't just leave us at the table, um, but draw us to yourself. Help us to see that debt and that we couldn't pay it, that you've paid it all, and then set us free. Um, to be extravagant lovers. In your name, amen.